Good morning. I'm glad you're here today. It's been a little while since I've been in the pulpit. It feels a little awkward, kind of, but uh, I've been enjoying it. I'm glad that you're here on this Sabbath day. If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you. And, and today, if it's your very first time here, I want to just welcome you especially to Forest Lake Seventh Avenue Church. Hey, we're continuing our sermon series, our summer series called This Is My Story. And have you enjoyed it so far? Good. That's way hardier than first service. It was a little touch and go there for a minute. Um, it's been fun hearing from all of our pastors and getting to know them and hearing their story and what drives them forward. And today, I get to share my story. We're only halfway through this series. We still have Pastor Candy and Pastor Juan and Pastor Justin and Pastor Julie and Pastor Steve. So we've got a ways to go. But today, I get to share my story. So let's pray and then we'll dive right into it. Heavenly Father, God, as we think about my story, may it be all about your story. And so just bless us now. Help us to be challenged today in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, it says these words. They're on the screen for you. It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. While you hear bits and pieces of my story all the time, and I'll be honest, I'm only telling small bits today because I got to be able to preach coming up and I need stories then too. So you're just getting a little bit today. But my story starts back at the Mobile Infirmary in Mobile, Alabama, where a young pastor, Dave, and his wife, Cheryl, had their second baby. Here he is on the screen. Bam. <laughs> I almost didn't come to be because my parents, pastor and pastor's wife, they were so devoted to the mission, to uh, reaching people for th that were lost, sharing the gospel. They said, man, if we have kids, it's going to distract us from winning souls to the kingdom. And so they thought for a long time about not even having children. But once they had my sister, who's two years older than me, they thought, well, we can do better than that. I'm kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> They thought, let's try for a boy, and they had one. And as I was looking through pictures this last week, I found this next picture here. My man. Uh, <laughs> my son Caffrey and I were looking at this picture this morning, and, and we came to the stark realization that uh, before I had teeth, I had more hair than I have now. <laughs> nice velour, a little onesie there. My dad, he's always been about the mission always. It's who he is. It's in his blood. In fact, his dad, my grandpa, Glenn, here's a picture of him. There he is. He was a pastor as well. I'm third generation pastor. In fact, my grandpa, he passed, yeah. My grandpa pastored all over the place, including Spencerville, Maryland, the GC Church. He's all over the place. He served in the Southern Union. And so my dad followed in his footsteps. And while that happened, I never felt pressure to become a pastor. I don't remember a ton of the years of Mobile, Alabama, but pretty soon my dad got the call to pastor the Smyrna King Springs Church in, in Smyrna, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. And so we moved to Hotlanta, Georgia. Uh, it was a good time. Those were the best times. You're, you know, you're three, four years old, five years old. You don't think about anything. You just play in the mud and have fun and wait for mom to make you food. I mean, those were the, the awesome years. Um, I got some pictures from those years, I think. What do we got here? Ah, the Smith family. There they are. 
Um, <laughs> that's a Sabbath afternoon. I think my sister Mindy and I had just gotten brand new baseball gloves, and so we got home from church, and you know how moms are. They're like, hey, we're all dressed up. Let's get a picture today, right? Is, you guys do that too? Yeah, you do. You definitely do. So we got a picture. We wanted to hold our baseball gloves, and you can see the, the date on there. That's 1990. That's back from the 1900s, guys. <laughs> so old. <laughs> uh, living the dream. Here's another picture. One more here from that, that era. My dad said I was waving so fast he couldn't even catch my wave. There it is. Good times. From Atlanta, we moved up to Greenville, Tennessee, Northeast Tennessee, the heart of Appalachia, where everything just gets slower. The way you talk gets slower. The way you drive, too. There's tractors on the road, chickens crossing the road. I mean, it just slows way, way down up in northeast Tennessee. And it's, uh, it's there where people sit on the front porch and they eat moon pies and drink RC colas and they just think about life. We had a front porch, too, and the, the barn cat had kittens, and there they are. Had a kitten there. It was fun. Uh, I went to a school when I was there in elementary school called Greenville Adventist Academy. A wonderful school. It's still a great school up there right now. And uh, it's there that I really felt like God spoke to me through teachers. In fact, uh, oftentimes in third, fourth grade, um, the teachers would come up to me and they would say, Matt, you are a leader. And one day you're going to be a pastor. And I'd heard words like that from my own mom, usually in the context of me getting in trouble at school. I got in trouble a whole lot during elementary school. It, you teachers, just be glad that I wasn't in your class. Uh, here's one of, one of the pictures of, uh, oh yeah, you know, the, old, the old yearbook picture. I remember that sweater. That was a chick magnet sweater is what that was. <laughs> oh. And here's another picture of uh, my class. I think it was one of my birthdays. Look at the clothes we're wearing. I mean, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> one of my girlfriends was in that picture, but don't tell Jen. <laughs> Fun times. And my mom, she would, she would tell me, she would say, Matt, you're a leader. And you can either lead people to good things, or you can lead them to bad things. Always lead them to good things. And with the teachers telling me that, and with my mom telling me that, it began to form something in my heart, a longing to lead people to good things, to life-changing things. Fast forward down the timeline a little bit, and we get to high school. My sister, who's two years older than me, she had to make the decision before me of where she would go to high school, where she was going to go to academy. Just over the mountain from Greenville, there's two fantastic Seventh-day Adventist boarding schools, Pisgah and Fletcher. A lot of Mindy's friends went to those schools, but she made the choice to come down to Calhoun, Georgia and go to Georgia Cumberland Academy. So two years later, I made the same choice she did and went to Georgia Cumberland Academy. And I could tell you, oh, so many stories, and we could laugh for hours about ridiculous things that happened at high school, but it's at the end of Academy that uh, I want to share with you today. At the very end of, of high school, one of the literature evangelism uh, directors for the Georgia Cumberland Conference came to GCA to recruit students to be call porters, literature evangelists in the summertime. And some of my friends had already chosen to do that, and I'd talked to them before, and they'd made really good money. See, my parents had raised me to know how to work hard 
And so every summer I spent the whole summer raising money for my school bill the next year. And I knew that if you call portered, if you did a good job doing literature evangelism, selling books, that you could make good money that would go to your school bill. And so I thought about it, but I missed the deadline, just like Theo missed their deadline for a missionary. And, and so school ended, graduation happened, graduation night finished, and it was, I stayed up all night long with my friends and didn't get into any trouble that night. And the next morning, I went to sleep at 8 a.m. At 10.30, my mom came into the room and she said, Hey, Matt, the literature evangelism director just called. He has one spot, one opening, and if you want it, you can have it. It's down in South Atlanta, south side of Atlanta, in Jonesboro, Georgia. And if you want to go, we've got to go in an hour. And so I woke up and stuffed all my stuff into a bag, and we got into the car and then rushed to sit in traffic for two hours in Atlanta. Y'all, you've never sat in traffic if you've never sat in Atlanta traffic. It's a different story. You guys know. And we finally get to this little church. Here's a picture of it on the screen. This is the uh, Atlanta Southside Seventh-day Adventist Church, a very uh, iconic Adventist A-frame church, very run-down, needing a lot of work. And on the back side of the church, beyond the parking lot, was a little two-room school, two classrooms and a gymnasium. And that was to be the living quarters for all these high school kids who were going to do literature evangelism this summer. And we walked in. I was the last guy there. Everybody else had their air mattresses set up along in the room. Uh, the leader came and took me, and they said, well, let me show you the bathroom facilities. And so I went and looked at the bathroom, which was the mechanical room for the school. I mean, it had the air handler and the water heater, and there was like a random toilet in the middle of the room. The shower was a fiberglass shower surround with, a, with like a little curtain rod, and it was like they had a garden hose zip-tied to a two-by-four. And, and I'm thinking, is this really what I want to do this summer? Uh, Mom, maybe we should go home. Take me home, please. And I got my stuff all set up, and I hugged my mom goodbye. And as she left, I wondered, what was going to happen this summer? Would my life be different? Would it just be miserable? Or would God really speak to me? And while I didn't know what was going to happen, my heart was in a good place because it was wide open to hear God's voice. Literature evangelism is hard. If that's a new term for you, it's basically going door to door selling books. And uh, we started the whole process with some training. Uh, the, 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 the leaders, they were college kids that were there to take care of the high school kids. So you have like a three or four year difference in age. Now they got us all together. And here's what literature evangelism is. You get a canvas bag that's incredibly uncomfortable to carry and it's stuffed full of books. You got cookbooks, you got kids' books, um, you got a lot of books by one of my favorite authors, Ellen White. They're, they're just uh, larger and thinner and easier to look at. And, and you go door to door and you sell these things. And they give you a script to say. And it was incredibly hard for me to learn this script because it, not because I have a hard time memorizing things, it just didn't feel authentic and real. It's somebody else's script that you're supposed to regurgitate to people. Uh, my name is Matt. Hi, I'm a student working my way through school on a scholarship program. Instead of selling trinkets and such, we're selling books, is basically what it would say. It's just awkward. Like, let's just be real and have a nice conversation. But you had to stick to the script. And so we practiced and practiced and practiced the script. And we, we talked a whole week of different conversations about what happens if you, you come to, somebody comes to the door and they're in their pajamas. Or what happens if, if somebody slams the door on you and you get rejected? What do you do? And we spent the whole week talking about this. The next week was when we were supposed to start this. And I'll never forget 
the breakfast that we had on the very first day that we were supposed to go. It was, and granted these are college kids trying to provide for high school kids, it was leftover, burned, vegan, can it get any worse? <laughs> Spaghetti for breakfast. Oh, it was so, I skipped breakfast, it was so bad. We piled in the cars, everybody had their own groups, and we went to uh, our different locations, and they have a map that you look at and you say, okay, we're doing this neighborhood today, we're doing that neighborhood the next day, and you split up all over Atlanta area, and we got to our neighborhood, we got to the, the corner, we had a quick prayer, I got out on one side to go down this side of the street, another guy got out on that side to go down that side of the street, and we were off. And it's just you and God and the people in the houses, and you don't know who you're gonna meet, you don't know what they need. You don't know what's going on in their hearts. You don't know if you have something in your bag that can change their life. And so you just pray the whole time between houses while you're talking to people. It's just thinking about what can you do to minister to these people. It's a hard job. But it's in that summer that something happened to me. In fact, it was a daily occurrence. Every day in different neighborhoods, in different houses, in different homes, but it feels like it was every day. I would come to the door and knock on the door and someone would come to the door and I would say, hey, my name is Matt. I'm a student working my way through school on a scholarship program. And they would say, wait, 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 wait. What are you taking in school? And I would say, well, well, I'm taking theology. I knew I wanted to study theology because I was gonna do something for God. I didn't know if I was gonna be a pastor in a local church or, or maybe pastoring a some like academy somewhere or maybe just focus on youth ministry and be a youth pastor or maybe be a chaplain at a hospital I mean I could do it all whatever God I'll do it all whatever but I didn't know what and the the the, the thing is is that every pastor always asked me the same question they would say have you been called a summer long of pretty much every day someone asking you that makes you think and at the end of the summer, without a shadow of a doubt, I knew that God wanted me to pastor in a local church for him. It was his calling on my life. And while my calling to ministry feels almost as direct as God speaking to Jeremiah and calling him to be a prophet, what I really want to focus on today is your calling. Every one of us has a calling. It might not be like Jeremiah to be a prophet or, or me to be a pastor. It might not even be ministry related, but I guarantee that each and every one of you has a calling from God to do something powerful for him and that it all ends up with the same purpose and the same reason. I mean, God called Samuel when he was a little boy to lead people. God called Noah to build this giant boat to save people. He's not even a carpenter and he's building stuff. I mean, God called Jonah to go to a, a whole other city and, and point them to the true God. God calls Rahab, who's a prostitute, to hide spies on a rooftop so that, the, that God's people can get to the promised land. God calls Esther for such a time as this, and you better believe if they have a calling, you have a calling straight from God with a specific and special purpose. And while we could debate about what your calling looks like and the context in which it is, uh, it's all the same thing. This morning, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 11, the book of Numbers, chapter 11. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, that's okay. There should be blue books in front of you or around you, and you can follow along on page 103, and you'll read the same words that I'm reading. It's 
the same translation, Numbers chapter 11. While you're turning there, I'll give you some context. The children of Israel, God's people, they've left Egypt from slavery, and they're headed to the promised land. God's with them every step of the way. Uh, he's leading them in the daytime as a cloud that gives them shade, and at night it's a pillar of fire, his presence there to keep them warm. When the cloud moves, the people move. That's how they know where to go. And so they just follow him continually. But at some point in their journey, a group of people, and I love how the Bible describes them, the Bible calls them the riffraff. Another, another translation calls them the rabble. It's this group of ornery people that are in God's people. They get tired of what they're eating. And I've been there before. We all know you get tired of eating stuff. I mean, if I have to eat okra more than once a year, I'm tired of it. Asparagus is the same category. These people get tired of eating. God's been providing them manna every day. That, you know, the frosted flake stuff that God put on the ground and they pick it up every day and they could eat it. They get tired of it. And so they say in Numbers chapter 11, here's the verse. Here's how they say it. If only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And Moses, as he's walking around this tent city of two and a half million people, he hears their, their voices talking, the riffraff, the, 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 the rabble. rabble. They, they're talking a little bit and he hears it. And while I don't think good leadership is people pleasing, he feels major pressure to change the menu for all of the Israelites. And so he goes to God with this situation and he asks what he should do. Now, what I love about this conversation that we're going to read is that it is incredibly raw. It is so raw that it almost feels disrespectful because Moses talks to the God of the universe and he says it just as plain as day and it's almost disrespectful, yet it tells me a little bit about who God is. God's got thick skin. He just wants to hear from you. If you want to shout, shout. If you want to cry, cry. If you want to be angry, he doesn't have his feelings hurt because he's a God that loves you so much and he's a relational God that just wants to be with you. So you can talk to him. He can handle it. Here's what Moses says. Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 11. Here's what it says. Here's the conversation. Moses asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you? that you put the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us more meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. It's pretty raw, isn't it? Moses comes to God and he presents this problem. He says, I can't lead by myself, God. I'm carrying this burden and I don't know what to do. And God comes back with a plan in the next verse. Verse 16, here's what God says. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. 
I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. That's the plan, and I love it. Isn't that a good plan? God says, you know what, Moses? You don't have to carry it all. In fact, I'm going to take some of the Spirit, that Holy Spirit presence on your life, and I'm going to give it to other people so they carry the load too. That way they all can carry it. And so Moses, he goes and he creates a list of 70 leaders, 70 elders. Side note, this is the first time the nominating committee is mentioned in the Bible. (laughs) He makes his list, 70 elders, and he goes and he recruits them, and they say, I'm willing to serve on the next two-year term. And so they come to the tent, and here's what's happened. Verse 25, jump down just a few verses. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he spoke with him. He took some of the power of the Spirit that was on Moses, and he put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Bam! Moses is there. God says, Moses, you have so much of this Holy Spirit presence on you. He takes some of it, and he gives it to the 70 other people, and instantly they begin to prophesy which is a really weird term for us, and we freak out when we hear this word prophesy. Probably because of the culture and the context that we live in now. Because we think of prophesying as, as telling the future and, and people looking in their magic eight balls or tarot card reading or, or this weird stuff or, or these doomsday predictions or these conspiracy theories, and then we say, ah, it's weird stuff, they're prophesying, this is awkward. Yet if you look in Hebrew as, as Moses is writing these words down and he describes them as prophesying, It's rejoicing. It's singing. It's telling the wonders of who God is. It's sharing the goodness of God. And Moses goes from the sole leader of these people to 70 other people jumping and rejoicing and praising God for his goodness. Isn't that wonderful? Now here's the rest of the story, and I think it's the kicker of the story that points from this story straight to your story. Here's what happens. Verse 26 You know how a nominating committee in any church that I've ever been to, you know this well, Pastor Frank, you know this really well. Uh, You can nominate people. You can pass it by the church board or the church body. But there's always one or two people that accept the nomination of this position and they don't ever do anything. That's none of you guys, right? Never. No. Here's what happens because it happens here in the story too. Verse 26. Two of the 70, two men, however, whose names were, Bible even names them. It's like throwing shade at these guys. Two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They, they never went to the elders' ordination. They stayed at home. Moses is about to do this thing. God's about to give them special power and, and ordain them to do this ministry thing. They stayed at home. Two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. Boy, that tells me something about God. It tells me that he'll use anyone and everyone, whether you're a good boy or a bad boy, whether you're a good girl or a bad girl, if you're willing, he will use you to do his biddings. If you show up to the elder's ordination or not, he's still going to use you if you are willing. And here's what happens. 
The power goes to them too, even though they're not with the 70, the, the, the 68, there's two out in camp, and they begin to rejoice and share and sing, and they, they speak of the goodness of who God is. And not everybody likes it. There's a little boy, he's nearby. You can read it, it's in the story. He sees what's happening, and he runs to Moses, and he tattletales on them. He says, hey, you realize there's two guys in the middle of the camp? that are rejoicing and jumping for joy and they're, they're prophesying, they, they're, they're sharing the goodness of God? Shouldn't they have been ordained first? Don't they need to be, uh, have gone to seminary first? Don't you think they need to have some pastoral training and a master of divinity, maybe a, maybe a PhD or a D-man? Joshua, the future leader of Israel, he's standing right next to Moses. He doesn't like it either. He says, Moses, you need to cut this out. Do something about this. And it's in Moses' response that I believe your calling is as, as clear as day. Here's what it says in my Bible, verse 29. In fact, we're going to put it on the screen because I like how the Christian Standard Bible puts it. But Moses asked Joshua, are you jealous on my account? Like, are, are you jealous that I'm not the only one that shares the goodness of God? Are you jealous for me? He says, if only... All the Lord's people who are prophets, and the Lord would place his spirit on them. If only, Moses said, if only all the Lord's people openly celebrated and praised the goodness of God, think about what would happen. If only, Moses says, if only all God's people shared their love for a Savior, the world would change. Moses says, if only all the people. If only all God's people proclaimed what God had done for them in their own story and is doing for them right now, people's hearts would hear it and they would change because of what they heard. Moses says, if only, if only all God's people built relationships with their neighbors and their co-workers and they made connections with their hairstylists and their barbers and became friends with their pool boy and their lawn man and they shared their love for Jesus, Think about the impact that it would make. Moses says, if only all God's people proclaimed the goodness of God. And I believe every single one of us not only has a calling, but the moment that you accepted Jesus as your Savior, the moment that you said, I want to live for you, that you were baptized with a Holy Spirit presence that is empowering you to share the love of Jesus, the goodness of God with everyone that you meet. That's the baptism that you have. You, you, you've been anointed. You've, you've had that ordination. You are a part of the ones to share the message. And if you're new to church and this is your very first time in a church, maybe you don't even know who Jesus is, it's okay. But I'll tell you this, the greatest decision you'll ever make in your entire life is to join with all the others that love Jesus and allow him to use you to share the goodness of God. I mean, you're made for this. You're called for this. I, I, love, I love the story in the New Testament where Jesus, he, he's doing this triumphant entry into Jerusalem and he gets this donkey and he's riding this donkey and people have taken off their jackets and they lay them on the road and, and he, he's riding this donkey like a red carpet down towards Jerusalem and people are snapping off palm branches and they're waving them and they're saying, Hosanna to the King, of the, the Son of David, here he is, the King is here. And the Pharisees, they don't like it. They said, stop proclaiming the goodness of God. Be quiet. Shh. And Jesus says, if, the, if, if they don't say it, the stones will cry out. 
If they don't proclaim the goodness of God, the rocks will do it. I mean, every atom on the planet, every molecule, every proton and neutron and electron, every, every piece of this earth shouts the goodness of God. Every being on the planet, every animal, every tree, every person here is to proclaim the goodness of God. It's what you were made to do. You know, there's a part of my story that I haven't shared with you. It's not even a story. It's just my life philosophy. It's simply this. My deepest desire is to be used by God to make the biggest impact for Him that I can make. If He sends me from a 4,000-member church to a five-member church in Podunkville, USA, I'm gone. I'm there. If, if He takes me to Sin City, America, Las Vegas, if He sends me to the Pacific Northwest where secularism is, is king, I'm there. If I can make a bigger impact for Him somewhere else, that's where I want to go. If he takes me out of pastoral ministry and he wants me to be a, a plumber or an electrician or flip houses or, or do whatever, I'll do it because I want to make the biggest impact that I can because that's my goal in life. It's, I want my story to be his story. And just like Jeremiah was called to be a prophet and just like I believe I've been called to be a pastor, you too have a calling. Your calling might not be in the same context that mine is in but it's for the same purpose and the same cause. I mean, some of your callings have been to be doctors or nurses or hospital administrators, or maybe you work in HR departments at hospitals or urgent cares or outpatient places. Uh, maybe your telling of your story happens at the bedside when you pray prayer over patients and as you direct them to the King of Kings, the, the healer of all bodies. Maybe it's when you build relationships and you follow up with them later and you say, hey, I just wanted to just wonder how you're doing because I care about you just like God cares about me too. Some of you, your, your calling looks a little different. Maybe you've been called to be a landscaper or a plumber or electrician or, or even a used car salesman. Man, you've got so many real opportunities with the people that you meet every single day, people that I'll never get a chance to meet. Can you tell your story so that people see the goodness of God? Maybe your calling has been to be a, a teacher or an educator or a professor. God bless you all. I'm just glad my calling wasn't there. <laughs> but what a rich opportunity you have with that family of students that you get to be with every day. The impact that you can make as you tell your story, they know his story because you share the goodness of God. You know, maybe your calling is to be a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad and your life revolves around playgrounds and parks and playdates but as you build relationships with those other parents and those other kids and as you share your story you share the goodness of God and people's lives are changed because of it maybe you're retired your career is finished but your career is not your calling because your calling stays with you forever. So what opportunities do you have? Playing golf? Playing bunko? Maybe it's just traveling and meeting new people. How can you share your story and point someone to the goodness of God? Your calling may be completely different, but it has the same purpose, and that's for you to tell your story, a story that reminds people of a Savior that loved 
you so much that he gave up everything just to be with you. May your story always be about his story. And may you live to tell the story of grace and mercy. Tell the story of Jesus.